0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, today we have Dr. Elisa Cruz-Torres on the line. Hello. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. Can you start by giving an introduction of yourself to our listeners? Sure.
1: Um, I actually have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in education, and I actually um, specialize in curriculum and instruction because I was an educator at the time uh, when I was pursuing my master's degree, and I was working with um, adolescents with emotional behavioral disorders. So um, interestingly enough, my final course in my master's program was an elective that I took called Intro to Applied Behavior Analysis. And immediately, first day of class, uh, professors talking about the science of behavior, goosebumps go up on the arms, and I didn't even realize that I was applying these strategies with my EBD kiddos that were rooted in a science that I was not familiar with. And I'm sure I think back in my psych days, I'm sure Skinner came up, but he passed right along through with all of the other practitioners that we were introduced to. So um, brought back to the forefront. As soon as I graduated, um, I enrolled in an online course and um, earned my BCBA in 2011. Uh, during that time, I also enrolled in a doctoral program uh, here at Florida Atlantic University in South Florida, and I earned my doctorate in education specializing in autism and ABA uh, in 2015. And so currently, I am the VCS coordinator for the ABA program here at FAU. And it's pretty cool because I get to take all of that classroom experience and clinical experiences that I had while I was at an autism center, and I get to teach, coach, supervise, mentor, educators, and students that are
0: pursuing their BCBA certification. So full circle. Full circle, indeed. Um, A couple of acronyms you use, VCS, so Verified Course Sequence. So in that um, role, you are uh, – well, what does that entail for you? What does that mean you're in the VCS role? So uh,
1: I am the contact person um, between the BACB and the university. so um, what what that involves is every year we have to renew um, you know our course sequence, make sure that we're meeting all of the requirements, um, you know that faculty meet the requirements, and that you know our courses are again, Still aligned with the current task list Uh, and then on the flip side of that I am the contact person for any uh, interested um, students right so if they're they're interested in enrolling in our program they'll reach out to me ask me you know if their degree qualifies and what their what possible routes there are for them at FAU
0: right on that's quite a responsibility but it's great to have someone with such a background in those roles Um, So one of the things, the reasons I had asked you to kind of join us today on the podcast was to talk about your experiences also in helping people obtain the Registered Behavior Technician credential or some of the ethics and concerns or just a little bit of your experiences with that. Um, How how would you explain the RBT credential and uh, what is your connection to helping people obtain it? So... So our RBT
1: uh, credential, I believe the board rolled that out. I want to say around 2013, 2014, and you know it was really a way to um, increase, I believe, the, you know, the quality of staff that are going to be um, implementing these services, right? These behavior analytic services. There are frontline folks, and so um, in order to sort of legitimize that role, that this credential was um, rolled out, and it's really designed as, I believe, a more paraprofessional role so that they can practice under continuous supervision of a BCBA or BCABA. So, you know, they're, direct, they're primarily responsible for the direct implementation of behavior analysis services. So RBTs do not design interventions. They don't make evaluations or plans. Um, they deliver those uh, services as advised by the um, supervisor. So the supervisor is responsible for... Determining what tasks are going to be executed, right depending on the Rbt's training, their experience, what you know what is their capacity as a technician to um, deliver some or all of uh, the treatment plan so that in a nutshell is the role of an RBT um, what I'm finding is because of the demand for behavior analytics services being so high, I mean, I think I can just safely say that across the board in whatever state or country um, that there's just not enough uh, certified analysts um, and not, probably not even technicians, um, we're seeing an influx of interest. So, again, as the coordinator, I receive lots of phone calls and emails of folks who say, I want to be an RBT. Um, Okay, and so we talk about it a little bit more. And what I'm finding is that they are completely new. Many are completely new to the field, coming from, you name it, banking or whatever. You know, or they could be from a related field as well, like social work. We got some folks with some of that background. But a lot of um, paraprofessionals also in education that are seeing opportunities to earn a little bit more income, and you know, they don't recognize or realize um, what is entailed when you are working with vulnerable populations. And so you lay it out there for them, describe it for them, and then, you know, they're off, right? They they have to go to, to become certified, take a 40-hour workshop um, online or in person with the facility that's offering it. Then they have a competency assessment that a supervisor needs to complete to, again, assess their competency skills across these identified task list areas. And then they can sit for um, an exam, which they pass, and they can become credentialed RBTs. So (laughs) the issue that I'm seeing is, okay, you can do the 40-hour workshop. Now who's going to supervise you? So I'm getting a lot of requests for individuals saying, I passed my 40-hour workshop, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a certified RBT, so they'll say, I just need somebody to supervise me for this competency assessment so I can take my test. And here is where um, there are some, I believe, you know, some ethical issues that we need to consider moving forward as supervisors. Um, do you want me to elaborate on that a little bit, or...?
0: Well, I think you bring up a couple of really good points. You know, first off, uh, in order to be, uh, you know, credentialed as a registered behavior technician, somebody would have to complete all the steps that you mentioned. So what an individual is probably reaching out to you intending to say is, hey, I'm interested in pursuing this credential. I've taken a 40-hour workshop by an approved, you know, provider or agency or entity Um, But in order to progress, they need someone to, of course, do the competency, which is a demonstration of some of those skills, at least live with a client. And then that um, supervisor, that behavior analyst, is expected to tie their name to that individual um, who then would sit for the exam and then upon passing the exam would have their RBT credential. So there's a couple of stages in there, right? Some of it is just getting the appropriate narration about what is the credential and, and when you actually have it. Um, for us in the state of Hawaii, it's, it's become a lot of discussion because of consumer protection. You know, you don't want to say, hey, look, I am a, a physician until you are a physician, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. want to say I am a registered nursing assistant until you are. So um, I think the BACB has done uh, a great job at issuing some guidance. I think it was in October 2013, but some discussion since then about How do we talk about people, ourselves included, if we're pursuing a credential? So that's important to help shape up uh, for individuals. But then there's a discussion of, do you have to work for the same agency? What's the responsibility? What are the concerns? Um, What are the potential barriers? So, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I think, elaborating on some of those would be really helpful. Sure. Yeah, so... Exactly. I'll
1: just kind of pick up where you left off there with, um, okay, I need somebody to supervise me, right, to do this competency assessment. Well, uh, you know, as a supervisor, you know that you are then responsible um, for their maintenance of that as well. So um, I'm going to speak to some personal experience and then... Hopefully, we can make some connections to some more general experiences. But my particular area of competency is classroom, right? The the classroom dynamics, uh, working with students, um, you know, creating educational and behavioral treatment plans for students with special needs. So, I will only supervise um, folks seeking the BCBA supervision or RBTs that are classroom based. So, issue number one. Individuals who are not Calastern based typically then don't have clients, right? That they can we can provide the you know the observations with. So on that end, I'll, I'll refer them. I'll refer them to local agencies that are open and willing to bring on techs who are at this stage. And not all agencies are willing to do that. So. You know, it's a matter of connecting with the community and having those conversations about, listen, I, you know, I'm going to create this referrals list as the coordinator here. I'm getting a lot of requests. Are you willing to provide this kind of support for this particular person that's kind of in the middle of their process? Yes or no? And then I create my referral list and send them to them. If they are school-based, then now we have to have a conversation, right, because, once we, we complete the competency assessment, which, first of all, I think it is absolutely incredible when I have a paraprofessional reach out to me and say, I want to do this. I want to be better at my job. I, wanna, I want to be better at supporting these students. And I've heard that this training can do that for me, as well as I might be interested in getting a part-time job after school, right? So. I think that's admirable, um, especially with our district here. The RBT credential is not required for paraprofessionals. So this is money out of their pocket for their professional growth. So now we have to have a conversation. Yes, I can come in and do that and, you know, outline the parameters of that. But once you're done and you pass your exam, you have two options. You know, we can continue – with our supervisory relationship, and you know, then there's that five percent, and we can talk about what that might look like as far as the contract. Or you're now kind of on your own, and you either find a part-time job at, at a clinic or with somebody that will provide that supervision, uh, the supervision hours with you, for you. Or you now have to delist yourself, right? You have you become a delisted RBT because the board very clearly um, defines that an RBT who is using their credential, is, uh, they're practicing behavior analytic services. So I struggled with this because on one end, you're a paraprofessional who, yeah, you, you, you just gained this really valuable uh, experience and were guided and coached. And let's say for whatever reason, we are not continuing our, um, you know, I'm not going to continue as your registered supervisor. You're on your own now. Your role doesn't require that credential, but you are now better at it because of this process. So technically, you are applying behavior analytics services um, within the capacity of your role. But you, if you are going to use your RBT credential, you now have to find somebody to supervise you or delist yourself. So I struggled with that, and I had an RBT kind of question, well, what's the point then, <laughs> right? I don't have time to get a part-time job, and I can't afford to pay, you know, to pay for the extra supervision a month. I just want to be better at this. So this is kind of like where, where I struggled with honoring somebody who has the greatest of intentions, and she was superb. Um, and so, you know, we, had, we we were very I was very candid about it. I said, you know, once you once you pass, you just have to delist yourself, and then who knows? At least you have this you know, you have the credential for the next um, two years, and you can re-enlist it at any time. You just can't announce yourself as a practicing RBT. And after we talked it through and we looked at the options, she was totally fine with it. And you know, the process of Removing myself as her responsible certificate was fine. It was smooth and easy. But it just got me thinking, you know, about all of these little gaps um, that I feel we could be better at filling and
0: supporting. Oh, I think that there's a lot of connection to be made there. Um, first, for us in Hawaii, we're unique because we have a state law requiring registered behavior technicians, and our schools are not exempt. Mm-hmm. Um, or there is a, a temporary exemption that is expiring at um, now. So we're at the point of how do we implement this and what does it look like? So I don't want to say that we're further along. We're just probably experiencing those same
1: questions,
0: mm-hmm. but on a larger scale. And what we found, too, is for individuals who were wanting to do this, whether the district required it or not or whether it was in place or not, We did also encounter lots of people who said, I know this can help me and I'm going to voluntarily do it or I want to learn more about it. And I think we had, when I say we, um, there's a few agencies or individuals or even maybe individuals in my agency where we were trying to support people through this and um, gave the option of being delisted, right? So if you want to do it, and you don't end up doing the competency exam or taking the Pearson exam Mm -hmm. and then later you decide you want to do it. You have to retake that 40 hours. Now, I think that there's a lot to be gained by additional training, but I'm not certain that there's a lot to be gained by repeated, you know, repeating the same training. Right. So when I was talking to people in those situations, I was like, you know, if you're going to do it and you want to pursue it, then let's figure out how we can support you or somebody in the state can support you and then delist yourself. And then what we noticed um, just this week, uh, the beginning of February 2019, is, the number of RBTs in our state jumped 300 from last month to this month. Wow. And it's like, how is that possible that we went from 700 to 1,000? And so we contacted the BACB and and asked that question. And basically there's been um, a restructuring to how it's formatted. And just as you mentioned, um, Elisa, is that, you could become active at any moment if you got a responsible certificate. So what's now reflected is everybody who has obtained a credential but maybe has delisted themselves or deactivated themselves, and now they're still being reflected but without a supervisor. Mm-hmm. So that's really important information to know, like, if there were to be a big you know, systemic you know, change or declaration within a district, that you would know how many people are available, and that would certainly give the leg up to anybody who had the foresight to pursue the credential prior to a requirement. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's interesting. I'm like, you know, it's interesting because it's it's new for us all to be rolling uh, this out at that level. Um, something you said that I found really important was looking at your areas of competence. So um, being somebody who has experience in the school or having a background in education definitely you're able to help look at that situation. What I'm finding is we're in areas where there hasn't been any school-based services, and so we don't have a lot of people with school-based experience. And so, you know, what is a, what is a candidate uh, you're pursuing this uh, paraprofessional credential to do if they can't find somebody with competence in that area that they're looking for to get signed off on? I mean, I think that's a restriction. Do you encounter that through the university? A hundred
1: percent, yeah. Because we, you know, our program is within um, the exceptional student education, our version of uh, special education here in Florida. Uh, our program is housed within that department, so we get a lot of, um, you know, school-based folks who are looking, you know, for this for this opportunity at, at all levels, right at the RBT level, as well as, well as the BCBA level. Um, and either one of those folks have a very difficult time finding somebody to come in to their classrooms to provide that supervision, oftentimes they are, I mean, they don't have any other choice than to go out and get that part-time job, even though they weren't planning on it. So now they're working full-time, they're going to school full-time, and now they have to make it work somehow with extra hours. Or um, they're waiting till they're done with their master's degree, so then they have some extra hours to get some more you know clinical employment or anything like that um and just for sure you know conflict of interest i cannot provide that um to my students because we don't have a practicum program but i also can't you know provide private supervision for students that i have in my program so that's one more person that they just lost access to as far as you know as far as the possibility of, of doing the supervision for them so yeah it is a very unfortunate situation um but you know one of one of the things that I try to reinforce uh, with my students, especially those that are school-based, is I I try to reassure them that they're coming into this field with such a well-rounded skill set. You know, the the classroom, the dynamics, the sheer number of students, the parent communications, all of those um, experiences are going to give them just that extra set of very valuable interpersonal and professional skills once they um, certify. So, I, you know, some of them look at it as, oh, should I, should I get out of the classroom and just go clinical? Um, and, you know, I try to reinforce, again, that that experience is super valuable. If you love teaching and you're effective, then find a way to make it happen because you're just going to be a behavior analyst that is going to be able to support future behavior analysts that are in similar positions that you are in now.
0: Can you share with us a little bit about um, what the school's receptivity to ABA, at least in some of the areas you're in, or maybe affiliated with the university or some of your students? Like, is there a situation where schools are really receptive, that they bring uh, a supervisor into the, you know, to support uh, people pursuing certification? Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, um, it, particularly in, in
1: uh, my school district here in um, South Florida, um, we, it's a very large school district. It is pro- I, 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 I want to say it's about the 11th or 12th largest uh, school district in the nation. So reason being, Florida is structured so that districts are by county, not by cities. So they're very large here. And um, we have one BCBA that is assigned to our entire district. Um, and then they are contracted with a local agency for more, for those more uh, crisis situations. So students that um, demonstrate you know severe problem behaviors more frequently, um, they contract out for support with those cases. But the one BCBA is assigned to the entire district, and I know that there is intention um, to hire more. Um, but, you know, there's budgeting and all of those things that I, I really can't speak to um, just in my connections and contacts with the district. Uh, that's just, that's, that's the goal and eventually it'll get there. But right now, yeah, we technically have one district employee that is a BCBA in that particular role.
0: So anyone who's trying to obtain supervision who's working in that district, is there like an already sort of an acceptance of behavior analysis or an overview and understanding? So Mm -hmm. if I was like a teacher and I was trying to obtain my certification as a behavior analyst and I said, look, I can bring my own supervisor on campus, is that something that tends to get received or it's a case-by-case basis or what are your experiences?
1: So in my experience, I have not had any issues. I've had some school administrators. That is a solely an administrative um, decision to make at the at the special ed level. Like the director, he's totally fine with it. So administratively, some schools are very familiar with ABA. They understand the concept. The, the process, um, the need, you know, to have the, the supervision. They're really open to, you know, having another set of eyes in, in the classroom. Other administrators, not so familiar, so they'll ask me, you know, what the, what does this entail? What do we need? Is this okay? And then I'll answer the questions and generally I'll connect them back to their, um, the ESD, the specialized director, just so he can confirm that, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. Um, So, yeah, just in my experience, it has not been an issue uh, as far as being, you know, being allowed to
0: to go in and provide the services. I asked that question because my own experiences were so different than what I'm seeing happen now, but I'm also living in different locations and talking to people in different parts of the world. But when I was obtaining my um, supervision towards my uh, BCBA, I was working in public schools in Massachusetts, and that was my job. I worked as an mm-hmm. educator, um, and I was able to have supervisors come in. If if anything, they loved it. They're like, great, you get professors or additional support. We had to have the appropriate consents, of course, and, yep, um, yeah. you know, making sure that, like, no video was recording, or if it was, it was had explicit separate consents, things like that. Of course, we had to do our due diligence. Um, but I was really fortunate in that way that I didn't need to get a part-time job. Now, granted, I did because I was interested in getting more diverse experience. Um, For myself, I wanted to be, you know, have the school-based and um, additional, like, clinic and center-based, home-based support. Mm -hmm. Um, You've mentioned a lot about – a little bit about your background and a lot of it connected to education. What are your thoughts about what makes kind of the most well-rounded or suitable – candidate for somebody who wants to become a behavior analyst or become a registered behavior technician what are the qualities that you think um, are really helpful to have in the, in that role
1: well um, I mean I think it's really important for somebody just to even just get in there and start having making connections with a variety of students with varying exceptionalities so you know Getting familiar with autism is one thing, right? You can learn about autism in a classroom. But working with an individual with autism is completely different. And working with uh, a toddler with autism is going to be very different than working with a young adult with autism, as it's going to be different working with an individual with Down syndrome or any other, you know, disorder. So I think it's important for somebody who's coming at this fresh, right? So I get a lot of these. Calls of, you know, I heard that this is a really great field. I might be interested in pursuing it. Um, I probe, you know, what is your experience? Have you ever even going back to babysitting? Right? Have you ever babysat a child with or without a disability? Um, because again, as frontline staff, especially the RBTs, you got to make a connection, right? We we know that the first step is establishing a a, a, a rapport with our consumers. So you have to be able to have that in your personality, right, to, to make those connections. <clears throat> and so I think that at, at the, the foundation of, of all of our skills, you need to be able to, to have that interpersonal relationship. Um, and then, you know, being able to communicate effectively with families, of course, having patience and um, those kinds of personality traits. I feel, I feel this, like, the skills of delivering interventions can be taught, right? We we know the strength of BST, behavior skills training, and really good coaching and modeling and um, practicing and feedback. That's valuable, and I feel that we can skill up most things. But teaching, empathy, teaching, um, connectivity, I think those
0: things really need to be inherent. That's in line with the findings of my dissertation research. Um, I've looked a lot about pairing and pre-session pairing, and, you know, what does that do? Can we condition ourselves as reinforcers? And kind of one of the conclusions we made was, yeah, you know, the, the effects were very robust, but teaching someone how to be fun
1: mm-hmm. can exactly. be
0: much more challenging than teaching them how to deliver the instruction if they're already fun, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I would be in agreement with that or my research would be for sure. Um before we finish our call today, is there anything else that you'd like to add or share or tell us about any projects you're working on or anything that excites you in the field now is a great opportunity for that? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: what's, what prompted me to sort of delve into this um, aspect of our field was that ethical violations report that the board published. Uh, last summer, I believe, and it was for the 2016 and 2017 discipline violations and all of that stuff, and what I noticed um, that came out of that was, you know, the most common um, categories that were violated, so to speak, were um, inadequate supervision, right, or delegation, Um, and so that category, while it doesn't, it's not reflective of the rbt's responsibility it is reflective of the supervisor's responsibility right to determine um their capacity to supervise their ability to supervise um and then ensure that if they are supervising that they're providing quality um, supervision and training so you know i started reading into it a little bit more i i um i really enjoyed the um The Behavior Analysis and Practice Journal, they had, like, a special edition, supervisory edition that they published, Um, and that was, ooh, I'm going to brain fart here on the year that that they published that. I want to say maybe 2017 or 2016. Um, But it, oh, my goodness, there were so many really great um, articles published in that journal, and I got so many really great resources. And one of the things that I'm using in my own supervision practice is the supervision feedback form right so you don't you know you don't you know your your technician or your future analyst they don't know what they don't know right they're just following your guidance and your direction um but they might need a little bit of empowering to sort of advocate for the things that they feel that they need so this feedback form and i apologize i can't remember which of the authors um shared it or published it, but it's really specific, nice task uh, analysis of the different um, skills that a high-quality supervisor should have.
0: Lisa, thank you so much for all of the information that you provided us today and for the great and robust conversations. Um, I know you have a couple of presentations coming up in Chicago, so we'll definitely be sure to look for you there and uh, for anyone who wants to learn more information you can visit www.behaviorbabe.com